Blog Talk Radio. Hi, good morning. This is Gail Sylvia, and you're listening to Green Fly and our series on finding your written voice. I'm so honored this morning to have Want. Um, she uh, pronounce your name, last name for me so I have it correctly. Want. You had it absolutely right. It's Chief. Okay, great. I'm so happy <laughs> to have you with us this morning and for our audience to introduce to you and um, our upcoming Barnes & Noble tour with Girls Fly and authors who have contributed their written voices to an anthology with other women called All the Women in My Family Sing, published by Nothing But the Truth. I want thank you so much for being here and good morning. Good morning to you. It's a pleasure to be here. How Thanks are for having you? me. So you're welcome. It's great. I'm great. I'm doing really well. How are you? Good. Tell us about um you your give us an introduction to your background and especially the parts that influenced it when you realized you had an interest in writing. Yeah, absolutely. So I am Chinese-American, so I'm first generation, which means that uh, my parents and my older sister uh, are both from Taiwan, and I was born here in the United States. Um, I identify as a Midwesterner, <laughs> for sure. I'm on the West Coast now, um, but yes, I grew up in the Midwest, so primarily Indiana and Wisconsin, um, and uh, those were just really formative times in my life, and uh, definitely influenced, I think, why I write and what I write about, which uh, has a lot to do with identity um, and finding family and home and different dynamics um, in where you live. Are those culture, those are pretty significant cultural differences domestically from Midwest to Bay Area um, or to the West Coast. Talk to us about, you know, just a little bit more insight on how these those different domestic cultural backgrounds influence your writing and you as a Chinese-American. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like at least growing up when I was in the Midwest, uh, so around, you know, like the 90s, um, I would say that, you know, it's definitely more of a suburban environment uh, that I grew up in. So predominantly sort of middle upper class um, type of uh, sort of setting with uh, sort of predominantly white folks. Um, And so that definitely, I think, influenced my upbringing in the home, which is something that I write about in my essay in All the Women in My Family Sing. Um, In the home, it was very much, you know, traditional Chinese type of upbringing. And so uh, trying to sort of reconcile and bridge that gap between what my home life was like and what it was like outside um, in, in, you know, when I was in school or among my friends or classmates uh, was very different. And then I think coming here to the Bay Area um, as an adult, it's been really interesting to sort of see how there's just so many more sort of Asian Americans here. Um, and I think with uh, pop culture and I think with the advent of crazy rich Asians, we're really sort of finding the mainstream is slowly starting to sort of understand and realize and embrace and come around to this idea um, of an Asian American identity. So this idea that uh, you are sort of, that there's a whole segment of the population that is uh, constantly sort of <laughs> trying to do what I have been doing my entire life, which is um, trying to sort of bridge that gap between what it means to be Asian, what it means to be American, um, and sort of those different cultural touch points that you were talking about. Talk to us about your introduction to punk culture because your contribution to the anthology All the Women in My Family Sing was Asian-American punk. And without giving away the whole story, because it's actually it was really um, wonderful to read, especially from your 15-year-old self, you know, perspective, um, 
introduction to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, you know, this is, uh, I think for me, you know, my home life, uh, in terms of being raised in sort of this more sort of traditional Chinese environment, it is very much this idea of the collective, um, this idea that you you live for other people um, in addition to yourself and that everyone else is sort of an extension of who you are. And so how you sort of move through the world is really very much with that sort of collective mindset. Um, and I think, you know, Western societies really sort of, uh, have this idea of individualism, this idea that uh, forging your own identity and really sort of living life um, and having it belong to you, uh, you know, in many ways, first and foremost, was really different. And so I think that, um, again, trying to sort of reconcile these two ideals uh, was really, um, and continues to be, <laughs> uh, you know, sort of a, a daily sort of uh, I guess, path that I travel, um, this needle that I thread. And so I think when it came to sort of punk music or sort of popular culture, these were sort of places, and I think certainly with writing as well, these were places where I found other ways to be, um, other avenues, I think, where I was able to sort of, in one word, find freedom um, from kind of all of these different sort of ideas of what could exist and who I needed to be um, in order to uh, be my best self. And so I think uh, with punk, it was really sort of about uh, having having a world um, in which I could I could sort of create a sense of self that could somehow sort of incorporate uh, what I had learned sort of in both different, uh, both in my home and sort of outside of it, but also um, sort of find that there were sort of new ways of existing as well. You know, you made reference in your, your wonderful story about, and I'm going to quote it, referring to is really sort of one that I felt was not necessarily sort of constrained or limited or sort of dictated um, by these different sort of personas and identities that I did feel like I constantly had to sort of put on and take off, um, almost like clothing. And I think that uh, for me, it really meant that uh, there was a way in which I could be both fearful and fearless, whatever it was that I felt in the moment, I would have a way of expressing and that somehow it would be understood. Um, and I think that that was something that was really important to me. And it's something that I continue to sort of seek and something that I do feel like writing, for example, uh, gives me most often. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I'm sorry. Say that one more time. There's a background sound now that um, you can hear. Yep, there we go. Sorry about that. Okay, no worries. No worries. Okay. Um, Hopefully this is a little better. Okay. Um, what, it, what made you contribute to this anthology, All the Women in Our Family, My Family City? And what was, were you hoping, what is, what's your hope when you do write that you're able to inspire Yeah, I would say that, um, I mean, I think first I was really drawn to this prompt, this idea of what it means to be a woman of color. I feel like, um, again, for many of us, these are just the lives that we've been leading for a very long time. And um, and I think that if we're very lucky, you know, we're able to sort of find that community of like-minded folks uh, who have also been sort of struggling and, and forging their identities in all of these different ways um, and are sort of connecting with one another and being able to provide support and a foundation and a way of being able to like sort of let go and say, okay, like this, this is who we are when we're just able to exist with one another. Um, and I think that community was one uh, that I was really excited about sort of joining on the page. And so I think the idea of contributing to this anthology was really exciting just because not only would I be able to sort of express, you know, what it is that I've been feeling to some measure, you know, with different angles in my entire life, but also hopefully um, get a glimpse into sort of joining other women and sort of learning their stories and sort of forging that community and sort of inspiring other women, young women of color, especially um, to sort of figure out like, hey, what is that third way, right? So the third way that I've been kind of talking about, um, I'm always hopeful that through reading and writing, we're able to connect with folks that we wouldn't normally sort of cross paths with and be able to show them that they're not alone and that there are all of these other ways of existing um, and creating who you are. How do you, um, can you share some words of wisdom um, on how to conquer jealousy? Because there's an article that you wrote, um, you know, self-forgiveness or how to conquer jealousy. And, you know, I, I love the way you opened it because you, you did you did quite a bit there in that opening paragraph where you made reference to priest's eyes and then you made reference to, the again, the Midwest versus the West Coast. And then um, spiraling into something that you said you never should have done. And that was basically comparing yourself to a fellow writer. You know, how, <laughs> how, do you, how have you been working through that and how can others take lessons from you? on how to avoid um, those internal pressures of self-judgment when it's coming from a place of comparison and even perhaps jealousy. Yeah, um, well, thank you for, <laughs> for referring to that um, post that I made. Yeah, I think that for me, jealousy is something that I'm constantly struggling with, or, or not so much jealousy maybe, but just this idea of always comparing oneself to someone else and feeling like somehow you've missed the boat or the window or you're running a different race or that you'll always be behind. Um, and I think that as writers, as people of color, as women of color, I think, you know, we're always... Uh, we're always sort of feeling like there is a standard that we're not meeting that perhaps we were born to be unable to meet. Um, and, I, you know, just by virtue of our race, our ethnicity, our background, um, the makeup of our bodies. And I think for me, that piece, I didn't, I didn't know how to overcome my jealousy until I reached the end of it. <laughs> um, I feel like it took writing out how I felt um, that, that you know, it, 
and actually writing out how I felt was the only way that I was able to achieve some kind of understanding or some kind of compassion for myself in terms of what I'm capable of and what it is that I hope um, to become and what it is that I would like my life to be like um, mm-hmm. as a writer and as a person. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what writing has always done for me is that it, it helps me make sense of the world. <laughs> it helps me um, to have more empathy for other people and hopefully for myself in the process. Um, and so I think what I really sort of arrived at in that piece was this idea that um, the idea that I don't actually know what's going on behind the scenes in anybody's life. Um, you know, I think with social media, I think with publications, it's really easy to read something and feel like someone is more complete and has arrived somewhere that you could never go. Um, and I think that, you know, reminding myself that those are just highlight reels, right? That I'm, I'm only catching a completed piece or the best pieces of someone um, that they've been able to deliver in that moment. That, that doesn't actually mean that's necessarily where they are in the journey. That's just where they happen to have arrived at that time. And I certainly am not seeing all of the work <laughs> that, goes, um, that goes into sort of crafting that moment. So I feel like in considering my own sort of daily struggle and my own, the work that I put into kind of becoming who I want, the type of writer that I want, it's sort of remembering that other people are kind of on that same path and it might look different than mine, um, but that I'm not there every step of the way. And, uh, and that it's really important to sort of remember that, you know, you're, you're the only one out there who is like you. And as much as that makes me feel like a curse, um, it's actually the best, the best thing that could ever be. Um, because I think that's what makes all of us, you know, that's what makes our writing and, and who we are, what we have to give so important. It's because there's no one else who's going to be able to do it like you do. Mm. Um, thank you. You know, one of the, the, one of the main reasons that Girls Fly is hosting this series, um, finding your written voice and doing it in a public space such as Barnes and Noble is we want women and girls, uh, and and it's actually, it's not to the exclusion of others, but our focus is on women and girls, um, Mm -hmm. to know that there is value in who they are, where they are, and that there are no mistakes in their lives, that all of it can be used for good. And so that journey, it's, you know, it's never too early or too late to take the next step. So even in your own writings, that same article, you know, you made reference to, you know, the sense of failure that, um, you know, a decade after, you know, you finished your MFA, you were still yes. aspiring to be a published author. Can you, you know, share with us um you know, the moments that aren't so pretty, you know, that make that real, <laughs> you know, in terms of... Oh, goodness. I don't know that any moment is pretty. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. you know, on the surface here, you know, with you, you know, people would see your name and something associated with your voice and your writings and your incredible background and very admirable background. It looks like you've got it all together. It's probably come very easily for you. You figured it all out. You could name it, you know, a, a home you, a second you, you know, a, <laughs> a third you. You know, but there was this part of your own dream journey to being a published author that did not just happen overnight. 
protect yeah, yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think how it's... How you stay the course, you know, and what yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, that's a, that's a great question. I feel like for me, I mean, I'm still... I'm still becoming, I'm still arriving. I, um, you know, and I think it's, it's always so incredible to me that anyone uh, would pay any attention <laughs> to what I have to say um, or to think that I've arrived anywhere. Uh, it feels so foolish, but um, I mean, it's, it's an incredible compliment to hear that. And I think that uh, what I would say is that, um, I mean, I feel like, yeah, I, as I sort of, joked before I don't know that any moment is pretty I mean I think I hear about writers you know who have a very precise routine and I do have one but it's not nearly as rigorous as I always feel that it should be you know again with that sort of self-comparison you know there's always the idea of like oh you need to write every day there's all of these kind of again sort of rules and handbooks and I think for me you know I have I have one dedicated day a week that I write and that's what I'm able to manage um and uh and you know, I'm, I'm able to get done what I can get done in that time. And I think I'm constantly having to sort of reconcile that with um, the desire to write constantly <laughs> um, and the pressure to feel like I need to be writing constantly in order to become the type of writer that I want to be. Um, and so, you know, I think just this idea that there really is no path, that I think it's just about staying course. It's just as long as you're committed and you're making the effort, I do really believe that things will happen. Um, I think whatever it is, whatever small measure that I've been able to achieve thus far has happened just, you know, through like writing once a week or even less, sometimes more. Um, it's when you can squeeze it in. It's, it's knowing and being committed to making that time, however often or little it is, I think matters. Um, but there are some days when it doesn't feel that way, right? When it doesn't feel like it's enough. Um, and, and again, you know, I think that struggle is definitely daily. And it's interesting because that article that I wrote actually was happening at around the time when I had just submitted the piece <laughs> that ultimately was published in this anthology, um, all the women in my family saying, and, and it was one of those moments of sort of spiraling self-doubt when I wrote this, you know, this other piece that we're referring to, this article about jealousy, where I was thinking like, gosh, you know, it's, it's been nearly a decade and it's definitely been that now um, since having my MFA and all of my friends you know, had <laughs> had pieces published, uh, were on their way to sort of collecting what would become books of short stories that they would also get published. Um, and I felt desperately behind and I felt so silly to be pinning my hope on this one piece that I happened to have floating out there. Um, but it happens. And, and I think, you know, for that, I'm incredibly grateful for all of the folks that, again, uh, wanted to give me that chance. And, um, and it just kind of makes me think of the incredible work that so many people are doing in the industry um, for writing and publishing and editing and publicity and marketing and design and all of the elements that come together um, of people who just believe so much in women's stories and people's stories um, to be able to sort of bring our voices to the fore. Mm. You know, in that same piece, do, do you feel like, um, do you think you'll ever do you think it's dangerous or that it's perfectly normal and reasonable to feel like you've ever made it or that you're the real deal versus feeling like you're always striving, emerging, or aspiring? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I ever want to believe my own publicity. <laughs> you know, like, I I think that, um, uh, I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like, good writing comes from a place of vulnerability. Uh, and that's a really hard place to live in, 
really any time in your life. Um, and I think mm-hmm. we live in a society that really values uh, having it all together or appearing like you do and mm-hmm. somehow making that myth real. And I would argue that it's always a myth. And I think that yeah. people really connect with um, people really connect with this idea that uh, that we're all sort of somewhere being formed, <laughs> right? I think it's that process of becoming that is so important. And I think it's sharing that process um, that really sort of allows us to connect with one another and to really sort of form the type of lives and communities um, that really matter and that really allow really great work to flourish, um, both personally and artistically and otherwise. And so I feel like when it comes to my writing, it's it's always sort of being able to, yeah, to constantly be aspiring to and reaching toward a larger sort of self, uh, a place that uh, contains a lot more people um, and a lot more sort of ideas and a lot more realities and a lot more aspirations. <laughs> um, and I think that's, that's a place that I want to live in all of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, another um, part of your your story that you shared in the anthology that um, resonated so well with me and also with why we do Girls Fly is that you, you're very, even in your introduction, you know, there's, you were very, I appreciated hearing the acknowledgement of your background, you know, uh, upper middle class, you know, upper class family. So often people think of women and girls issues, women and girls empowerment, and women and girls of color as only coming from one economic class or one social circumstance. And the diversity within our own experiences also includes economic diversity and exposure. You know, your parents went to college, your dad, you know, I, I don't know about, you know, that that there's nothing to be ashamed of, no matter who we are, where we are, and what we have access to or may not have access to. Um, you know, even your reference in the story about you know you you know were the um, typical kind of stereotype of, especially in a predominantly white community of the Asian American overachiever, violent playing you know girl. Um, but there was so much more to you, and I think that sometimes there's a tendency for us to to be labeled in ways that limit us and also cause us to feel in some way shame if we don't fit those, you know, those, if we're the round peg, you know, trying to fit in the square hole, you know, mm-hmm. that um, it's okay and it's embraced, we should embrace um, who we are, whether we have a lot or we have little, whether, you know, we've had exposure or we've been underexposed, whether we have opportunities um, readily available to us that others may not or if we don't have them, that those are such um, feeble guidelines for judging the value of who we are. So with Girls Fly, um, including this tour, it's open to everyone. You know, it's not just... Um, you know, one demographic group or one socioeconomic group because all of us have a voice and value within that voice. And you referenced it earlier, you know, you're the only one out there, you know, that's you, you know, that's you. So what would you go back and say to your younger self? What kind of wisdom would you have? Do you feel like you've 
from your life lessons thus far, because you're still very young, uh, what kind of advice would you go back and speak into your younger self during your 15 year old self in particular, you know, at the time that you wrote that, you know, that article, that story on Asian American punk and beyond. Yeah. I mean, I think that, well, first and foremost, I would tell my 15 year old self that I'm always going to feel 15 (laughs) to some extent. And by that, I just mean that, um, I think I always imagined when I was 15, that when I reached a certain age, that I would somehow magically understand everything that I needed to know to be, uh, you know, like a, a well-functioning adult. <laughs> um, and, and I think now that I am supposedly one of those <laughs> well-functioning adults, um, it's, it's really sort of understanding that um, I'm still making it up as I go along. You know, I, I think there is still that very vulnerable 15-year-old inside of me that's constantly striving and constantly trying to understand and make sense um, of the world around her and, and trying to reach a place where um, where she's connected to something a little bit larger than, than she is and to give her some perspective. And so I think what I would, would tell the younger me is that it does happen, <laughs> um, but it's never going to feel the way that, it, you know, that you expect it to or that you hope it will. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it isn't happening. And, and I do feel like I've, you know, if I can say that I've come out the other side of anything, it's, it's, um, you know, like I do think that as you get older, you do get perspective. I do think that you sort of realize that not everything is life or death, but things are still going to feel that way. And it's just that you've lived long enough to sort of realize that um, there is something, there is always going to be something on the other side, right? There's always going to be some kind of foothold. There's always going to be some way to sort of, to be able to get through what it is that you are and, and become stronger for it and to, um, and to learn from it and grow from it. And I think that process always felt very impossible and painful when I was 15, and sometimes it still does. Um, but again, you know, you go through it enough that you sort of realize, like, hey, there is strength in me, and there is a way to to actually come out of it and and experience it again. <laughs> um, so that's what I would tell her. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I want to close with one um, additional question that you can leave us with some additional food for thought. You know, the late, great um, Grammy Award jazz singer Nancy Wilson, she actually, you know, wrote, um, you know, a a major compliment on this anthology. And she said that all the women in my family sing is tapping into the rhythm of our collective desires for a more compassionate world. Your thoughts in terms of how you view your, you know, the opportunity for you and the value of not having to wait until you wrote a, a great novel, but you brought your your voice into a collective that's actually serving a, a much, you know, a bigger, grander picture uh, for a more compassionate world and doing it in collection with other women's voices. Any thoughts on that or perspectives on that that our listeners can take away, you know, today? Yeah, I mean, I think that quote perfectly captures, you know, exactly what I think reading and writing has always done for me and art in general and story has always done, which is, 
um, which is to sort of become more compassionate, to sort of really connect to other people and their experiences and sort of, again, put your own into perspective um, and realize that there's kind of more that we can do for each other all the time. Um, And I think that, yeah, when I read, I'm connecting to that. And I always feel like that's, you know, when I'm when I'm sort of in the company of of what it is that the author has written, um, or what you know, whatever story is being told, when I'm inside of that, I feel like, you know, I'm my best self because I'm sort of filled with that compassion. And I think that when I'm writing, I'm I'm always hoping to sort of reach that place um, and hopefully uh, share that with with other people as well. Um, and so, yeah, I think that <laughs> that that pretty much captures it for me. Thank you. I share it with other people, and I'm so honored and appreciative of your time, um, your heart, and um, your writing. And I'm especially thankful, as all of us are, um, that you have not put your voice on mute. <laughs> you know, that through all of the years that um, you there is a significant influence that you are bringing and lives that you continue to touch because of your finding your written voice and the value and who you are. And that's, a, I think, one of the most wonderful random acts of kindness for a more compassionate world that any writer can do um, and human beings and so on. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I look forward to meeting you in the Bay Area for the Girls Fly Barnes & Noble 2019 tour, Finding Your Green Voice. You can learn more about Monty and read her writing and her website, which is Tumblr, right? Monty.tumblr.com. That's W-A-N-T-C-H-Y-I.tumblr.com. Thank you so much, Monty. Have a wonderful day. Keep writing. Thank you. Will do. It was my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Take care. Bye. Good morning. You've been listening to me, Gail Sylvia, with Girls Fly and our special guest, Want Chi, author and contributor to the anthology, All the Women in My Family See. And have a wonderful day. You can learn more about us at girlsfly.org. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.